Good morning, brothers and sisters. As you are aware, the topic this morning is the church, obviously. As we, uh, we go through this consecutive uh, uh, study in, on, in the church, or the study of ecclesiology, uh, for the next, uh, actually, couple months, uh, we're assigned different topics or different uh, portions to cover. Mine this morning was uh, the true church and the counterfeit church. And so I, as the, the topic itself, it's a, it's a vast topic, a, a topic that uh, I and my feeble little mind can barely grasp my mind around. Um, and, and I did a lot of uh, praying and, 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 and searching on how to... How to attack this topic, or how to present it to the body this morning? And I, I recall uh, it was actually from this pulpit. A, a brother was preaching. He was saying how, you know, uh, when the FBI is training the, their agents on, on how to identify counterfeit money, they're, they're taught on the actual bills. They're, they're, they're first taught uh, the thickness of the paper, how the paper feels, the weight of the paper. Then they're taught on the actual print of the bill, and they want to know every single little detail on the bill so that when they look at this bill they know it forward and backwards inside and out and once they have this this uh, good foundation of what the bill should be then they they put in front of them the counterfeit and the idea is that they know that what the actual one looks like and feels like so well that when they see a counterfeit they automatically identify and so my, my goal this morning is that, is I want to present to you, brothers and sisters, what the Bible teaches about the true church. What is the true church? And once we have a grasp of that, my prayer is that the counterfeit then becomes extremely obvious. Because the counterfeits are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. And there's so many of them that... I don't have time to go through them all. So this morning, I want to begin in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And we're going to be talking about the, the church in great broad strokes here. Nothing very detailed here. Because it is a vast topic. And so I want to, I want to bring you back to John chapter 17. And you may ask yourself, why are we in John chapter 17? This is before Christ died. The church hasn't even uh, come to birth yet. Well, the church and its master and its creator, the Lord Himself, we find in John chapter 17, He prays for this church. And so there's things that we can learn about the church itself before the conception of the church. So you're there in John chapter 17. Here we have, and we're actually going to read only a couple of verses. We're beginning chapter, uh, verse 20 of John chapter 17. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them 
as you have loved me. And we'll pause there. And we'll ask that the Lord would bless the reading of His Word. And so here we, we, we pick up these couple little verses in this, in this amazing prayer. You see, chapter 17 of, of the book of John is technically the Lord's Prayer. Now, a lot of people assume that the Lord's Prayer is that prayer there. When, when the, Lord's, the, the, the disciples ask, Lord, how should we pray? And the Lord taught the disciples how to pray. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's how we, you and I should pray. That's man's prayer. But you see here in John chapter 17, we have a glimpse of God the Son praying to God the Father. And in the beginning of the chapter, he makes a supplication for himself. And then he, he, he asks for his, his disciples, the eleven who were there in the upper room, in that cozy upper room, as they were gathered together, he prayed for his disciples there. And we pick it up here in verse, verse 20 of chapter 17 of the book of John. He looks beyond that upper room. He looks beyond the, 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 the mitigating circumstances. And he looks beyond to you and I. You know, that's an amazing thought, brothers and sisters. That the Lord himself would think of you and I there in that upper room. When we consider the source of the prayer. You know, one may think, and I say this reverently, one may think that the Lord here, after this, goes to the cross and He dies and, and He's buried and He rose again and now He sits at the right hand again and now He's resting. There's not much more He does. He, he, his work is complete. Yes, His work is complete on the cross and salvation is complete. But His work is far from done. Here, He's making intercession for you and I. And we read later on, the Paul says, He makes, continually makes intercession for you and I. Brothers and sisters, that, that, should, that should fill our hearts with joy. Hey, brothers and sisters, when, we, when you and I pray, uh, sometimes our prayers lack some faith. Sometimes our prayers are, are, are empty. They're not efficacious. Oh, But listen, brothers and sisters, when, when, when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, prays for you and I, There is no wavering in his heart. There is uh, no turning. There is absolute perfection in it. And I want to encourage you. Brothers, I mean, I think of Psalms 8 there, right? Psalms 8, the psalmist goes on to wonderfully describe how the Lord would create the heavens and the earth. The God who breathed the stars and he looks at the vast firmament. And he's amazed by it. And you and I could do the same thing. And we look at this, this world, this creation. And we are amazed at, at, at the grandness of it. And we're also amazed at, at the, the, the finite things in it. How, how physics work together to sustain life. How, how, how your body functions. How a single cell in your body is, is a galaxy in itself. And we see the, we are amazed that God would create such a thing. And brothers and sisters, the psalmist would go on, hey, this is this God who created this wonderful creation, and he goes on to say, and what is man that you are mindful of? What is man that you are mindful of? What is man that you, 
You consider Him. We are nothing. Yet the Lord says, He, said, he continues to say, and yet you visit Him. And here we see the King of Kings praying for you and I. And I've gone too long on that. I apologize. So we see the Lord here praying for the future church, the true church. And it's interesting to know what he prays for. He prays for what? What does verse 21 say? It says, that A may all be one. Now you may ask yourself, well, what does he mean by one? What is he talking about? Is he talking about uniformity? That we would all be the same? I don't think so. He's not, he's not teaching that, that everyone should be exactly the same because that's not, that's not what he's teaching there. When he's talking about oneness or unity, he's talking about the unity that he has with the Father, right? I mean, he goes on to explain it. He goes, I want them, that, he wishes, he prays that they would be one as you, Father, and I are one. Now, we got to stop and pause and think about that for a minute and, and, and let's meditate upon that for a minute because that's significant. How are the Father and the Son one? Well, that's actually kind of a, a simple question and it's an incredibly profound thing. The Father and the Son are perfectly united. They are one, right? The, 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 the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. The Son does the Father's will and the Father is pleased with the Son, Correct? It's the perfect harmony. The Son was here, sent by the Father here on earth. And the Son did not do His own will, but He did the will of the Father. Perfect union, right? Perfect union. And this is the type of union that the Lord is praying for you and I. And what is that prayer? It's, it's, it's salvation. It, it, what, what, let me back up here. In this, in, this, in this picture, in this scene that we're in, the disciples are with Him. He has not been crucified. The Holy Spirit had descended. So these things are obviously, He's looking forward to these things. But how, how can you and I, wretched sinners, be one with a holy and living God? How is that possible? <laughs> well, I, I, made mention of it. I made mention of it, didn't I? It, you see, the Lord knew. The Lord had promised to the disciples. He promised that, that the Lord was going to send a helper. The, the, the promise of the Father was this, that He was going to send the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit would be poured upon those who believe. And those who believe would be that. Then what? Placed in Christ. That's an amazing truth, brothers and sisters. When we're talking about the church, the question comes up, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Because many, many would look at a church today and would sit there and say, well, how do you become a member of a church today? And they'll sit there and say, well, you know, you, you show up and you, you put a little, little coin here and there in the hubcap, like a brother Tim Hood calls it. And, and guess what? You could be part of the church then. Is that what the Bible teaches? Far from it. The Bible teaches... That you have to be in Christ. And how are you found in Christ? Well, that's the glorious news. 
That's the glorious gospel. Brothers and sisters, and friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, how are you found in Christ? Well, you turn in repentance and faith. You turn to the living God, the God who created this world, and say, I'm a sinful man. I am a sinner. And I deserve nothing but sin and death. But you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins, and he paid the penalty for my sins. He paid my punishment that I may be what? Saved and placed in Christ. It's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. When you you come to faith, brothers and sisters, we are in Christ automatically. There aren't different degrees of in Christ. Brother Malcolm here is not more in Christ than, than Brother John's is in Christ. No. When we come to faith, brothers and sisters, positionally, from that moment on to eternity, you are in Christ. And He will keep you in Christ. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Our salvation is not based upon our works. It's not based upon what we can do or how hard we may try to stay in Christ. No, far from it. Our salvation is based upon the finished work of Christ. He saves us, redeems us, and He keeps us. So when we're talking about the true church, brothers and sisters, it's are you in Christ? The complete work of Christ. It's very important. It's, it's, it's key number one. Without that, we, 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 we cannot walk together. It's interesting there in that verse, the second latter part of the verse. One of, the, one of the effects of us believers being in Christ is what? That the world may believe that you sent me. You know, this world is a lonely place. This world can be a very cold place. But you know, God turns to this world with open arms, willing to reconcile any soul. To, to, just as the, the prodigal son was walking up to his father's house with his head down in shame, and there the father <laughs> doesn't wait for him to come up. The father doesn't walk up to him. The father runs to the son and embraces him. Embraces him. You see, this world would look upon Christians, born-again believers, and they can't help to notice. They can't help to see there's something different about you. There's something not normal about those believers. They seem to be happier and and more joyous than than the rest. They seem to be able to cope with with the ebb and flows of life better than other people. Why is that? You know, I think it's in First Peter. First Peter talks about our responsibility. Our responsibility to be ready. Because you know what, brothers and sisters, as you and I are, 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 are walking this, this, this guilty side, as we're walking this earth, we walk 
And we are lights in this world. And in and, and and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's what, that's what he's speaking about there, isn't he? You see, the true church are, are those who put their faith in Christ and are placed in Christ. And the world is going to see that. The world, you know, we talked about it this morning, didn't we? In the Lord's Supper. Our brother prayed about it. That God is love. God is love. I, I, the Lord says, how, how shall the world know my disciples? By their love. And so we see the first, the first key of order for the true church is that you must be in Christ. Incredible truth. Astounding truth. And then we get to verse 22. And we get our second point here. It says that the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. Now, what is he speaking of? What is he talking about? Uh, what is this glory that, the, that, that he's talking about in verse 22? I believe if you turn a couple pages to chapter 14 and verse 10, I believe this is what he's talking about uh, concerning the glory, right? It says in, in John chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority, but that the Father dwells in me. And here is, here is a, a, a new principle, new revelation at this point in time. Here you have, what is the glory that the Father gave? Well, the glory that the Father gave, and we read there in chapter, four, um, chapter 14, verse 10, is that the Father is in the Son. And the Son does nothing without the Father. And the, son, and the son's praying here. He says, says, listen, the glory that you gave me, the, the, the unity that I have with you, now I, I want to give it to them. I want to give them this glory, he says. Now, it's, it's very interesting to know. We first learned about uh, uh, believers, the true church, being put in Christ. Now the second principle, the second point, is that, that not only that we're in Christ, but now that Christ is in you. Now, brothers and sisters, that, that, that's, that, that, that should get fireworks. And, and you may say, why? Well, brothers and sisters, from the beginning of this book to the end of time, the, the, the main drive, the main purpose of God's dealing with humanity has always been to find a place amongst who? Amongst His people. I, I mean, go back to go back to Exodus. We have a perfect example there in the tabernacle. Exodus chapter twenty-five. He, he began to give all this detail work on, on on this tabernacle, and he says it'll be a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst His people. God wants to be amongst humanity. He wants to be amongst His creation. He wants to be with them and love them and care for them. But you see, God takes it a step further than the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a, was a physical type of what was to come. They, they, they would see, the, the, the entire camp would be centered around that tabernacle. And every morning they could turn and look and see that, 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 that stack of smoke and know that the presence of God was there. 
But now, brothers and sisters, it's gone from being a physical location. Now it's inside of you and I. And the glory which the Father gave the Son, He has given to you and I. That we may be one. It's incredibly important for the true church. When we're talking about the true church, it's very important that if you're going to be in the church, you have to be in Christ. And Christ has to be in you. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? We don't walk this earth alone. We don't walk this earth in our own strength and in our own will. We walk this earth in Christ. And so we see the true church. And then we come to verse 23. Verse 23 is interesting. You you look at verse 23 and you sit there and you can look at it and you sit there and ask me, uh, uh, Jamal, what's the difference between verse 23 and verse 22? Uh, I mean verse 20, 21, I'm sorry. How how is 23 and 21 any different? It seems like the Lord is is a broken record. He's saying the same thing over. He asked for oneness in in, in verse 21, that they may be as as you and I, as the Father and I are one. He he wants the same thing. And He wants them so that the world may see that that, that the Lord sent them. Well, if you look at 23, it's very similar. But there are minute differences that that are very important to us. If you look in verse 23... It's not us and them, or Christ, or, or, or them in us, meaning Christ, uh, uh, us being put in Christ. But in verse 23, it's the inverse. It's, it's, it's the Father, the Son, in you. So it's the opposite. And it's important. Because then it, it, it's, 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 it states something. It states something that has variance to it. It says, I in them, and you in me, meaning the Son in believers, and you the Father in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Now before, when we were talking about in Christ, brothers and sisters, it's a one-time event, it's a positional state. When you ask for forgiveness and you turn to repentance before a living God, and you trust into the work of Christ for your salvation, you are saved and you are placed in Christ. And there's no, there's no variance in that. It's absolute. You are in Christ. One can't be more in Christ than the other. Now, in verse 23, it is, it is Christ in the Father in you. But there, there, there's a degree there, isn't there? It says that they may be made perfect in one. Now, let, 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 me, let me be clear here. Can, can one brother or one sister have more Christ than the other? Uh, brother, according to the verse, I think, yes, you can. Absolutely. One, one can be uh, more indwelt with the Spirit of God than the other. One can, can have the, the Christ dwelling in him more richly than the other. You see, positionally in Christ, which is, which is salvation, which is perfect, we're positionally saved and given eternity, and there is no variance in that. But when it comes to our walk, when it comes to, to the true church and their personal walk on this, on the, on this earth, our responsibility is to allow Christ into our hearts. It's to allow Christ into our lives. To, to, to let it consume everything that we do. You know, I, a commentary I read, like it unto a house. You know, I, I have people in my house from time to time. And 
they're welcome in my house. And most of them are, are welcome in the common areas. You know, they, they come in, they sit in my living room, they, 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 they go into my kitchen, they go into my, my, my dining room. But very few of them go upstairs. Now, partly that's because it's a mess up there. Don't tell my wife. That's not true. It's not, not a mess up there. I, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the point is this. Is, is As guests in my home, you're open to certain common areas. And, and the more comfortable you are with me as a guest, the more areas you're allowed in. Correct? Now, if I have my in-laws, for example, in my house, they're my guests. But they're allowed everywhere whether I like it or not. <laughs> and and I, say, I say it jokingly, but Christ is the same thing. Your, your, your heart is, a, is, a, is the home. Does Christ only get access to the living room? Are there on Sunday mornings? Sunday nights maybe? Maybe even on a Wednesday from time to time? Does Christ only get 10% of what you have? Or do we open our doors widely and say, Lord, come and do as you please. Those in the true church should be filled with Christ. And it's a process, isn't it? It's a process of sanctification. We don't all, the moment we're saved, we don't, we don't divulge everything. We hold on to things. And the Lord has to, has to like that, that great pruner, right? Speaking of the vine and the branches, there the Lord says that he, he cuts back where the branches, and he, and he begins, begins to cut back, and he cuts off all those leaves. Well, why does he cut off the leaves? Well, because the leaves are, are, are drawing energy from the vine, but they're not putting that energy from the vine to produce fruit. They're using that energy to produce useless leaves. And so the, as we walk this, this earth, the Lord begins to, to cut away things. Or says, I, I, want, I, I want into the family room. I want in. And he may, he may take something away. It's different for every believer. It's different for, for every individual person. What he prunes. We're all different. But the wise husbandman prunes wisely. And, and, and the prayer and the, and the hope is that each individual, each soul here this morning, is currently and actively growing in his grace. And, and giving a little of themselves up every time for the Lord. Whether it be a, a little thing, like, you know, giving up reading the newspaper just so you can spend more time reading the Word of God. Whatever, whatever it may be. And so we that the Lord prays that they may be perfect in one. That, that they would be indwelt more with Him. And the Father. The, the, the ultimate goal would be that goal of Christ and the Father. The Father dwelt in the Son and the Son dwelt in the Father. And there was absolute and perfect harmony in it. And you know, one day we are going to reach that perfect harmony. And, and unfortunately it won't be here on this earth, but it will be in heaven. He who will be going to go work in you will what? He's faithful. He'll complete it. He'll absolutely complete it there in the, in the day of Christ. And so you have the true church. And the, the, the amazing thing is that as, as I was talking about this degrees, the, these different things, as, as the Lord works in, in, his, in His sons and daughters and begins to conform them to His image, 
The effect is the same. The world will look at the soul, will look at the man and sit there and say, something's different about you. The world will take notice when the Lord is, is, is working in your hearts and in your minds. And the, one of the ultimate goals is, is that they're going to see something. They're going to see that, that what? That God, that God sent the Son, that the God of Father sent the Son, but that He loved them as you have loved me. Now, I'm out of time, but I want to spend some time thinking about that phrase. Because the ultimate conclusion that the world should see in our walk is that God the Father sent Jesus Christ to this world and is making such a change in this individual. And He is not just changing the individual, but He actively loves this individual. And He loves them in such a way that, that our words fall short. Our imagination can't even begin to grasp. Our minds fall way, way short. When we think of that phrase, He loved them as you, the Father, loved me. If, if the, the standard is God the Father loving the Son, this is the standard. And that same standard is applied to you and I. We must stop and think for a moment. You know, when the the culmination of Calvary was there, and God the Father looked upon His Son, and He had a choice between redeeming His Son, saving His Son, or saving wretched sinners who hated Him. He chose to save wretched sinners. I, I, don't, I don't fully grasp that phrase. I don't fully uh, take it in. When he says, the, the Father loved me, it's, it's an immense love. But yet, at Calvary, somehow, he chose me. He chose you. We, God, God is a God of love. You know, it's a story. There's a story that was uh, told by by a, a missionary to China, a sister named Gladys Allward. Some of you may be familiar with Gladys Allward. She lived uh, at the beginning of the 19th century, and she was one of the few missionaries to the China at that time. But this this woman told the story how she was currently being persecuted by 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 the uh, by the communist regime there and she had, she had kind of isolated herself with a group of believers out in the northwest region of China and she would sit there and say how these young believers were there and they loved the Lord so and she, she was kind of taken ill and so she was in bed and she would tell the story how she would hear next door to her room and, and, and these groups of young believers were gathered together and they had a map of, of northwest China on the wall and they would do a a game kind of like pin the tail and argue, that they'd come up and point the finger uh, on the map and they say, okay, this town here. They'll, they look at each other and say, does anybody know anything about this town? And nobody says, no, well, we don't know anything. Well, let, let's pray for them. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And so, so these young believers are getting together and we're praying for random towns, random cities, that the Word of God would reach them. 
And our sister all were, kind of heard them and, and kind of walked over there one time and said, well, listen, it's wonderful you guys are praying for these people, but who's going to go deliver the word to them? And young believers, as, as always, kind of he and Han are coming up with excuses. Well, I'm busy. I, I, I this, I have that. I mean, I'm full of excuses too. But she says, you know what? If no one will go, I will go. And here's this lowly woman saying, I will go to that town you're praying for and, and bring the word. And, and, and a young doctor volunteered to go help her and be with her. The story goes on as they traveled to this remote town in northwest China. They, they, they traversed through, through multiple towns. And as they went, they, 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 they passed out tracts and they preached the gospel to, to these towns as they went through. And as every town they, they, they went through heading to this region, every single person told them, listen, where you're heading, there's nothing up there. Miss Allward would sit there and say, no, we, we prayed for, for that region. And the folk, the Lord has something there for us. We continue. And when they finally got to the last leg of their, of their travel, they began to travel towards that last, you know, last day's walk. She tells us that they had walked the entire day and come across not a single soul. And she was kind of discouraged. She's kind of, she was kind of down, she says. And so she stopped with the young man who was a doctor and said, let's stop and pray. And, and, and you know, mature there, Mrs. Allward bows her heads and prays and says, Lord, we've been walking all day. And I'm tired. And I'm hungry and I don't know where we're going to spend the night. I don't know where my next meal is going to be, Lord. Help us. Amen. And this young man then opens his mouth and prays. He says, Lord, we've walked all day. And we haven't found a soul to share your gospel with. We haven't found an in, a single soul to share your good news to, Lord. Lord, send someone, he prays. Miss Allward would go on to confess how ashamed she was. Here she is, a seasoned, a seasoned believer. And all she's concerned about herself. And here's this young man praying for a soul to share the gospel with. She goes on to tell the story that as they continued walking, they began to sing a hymn. And, and, and as they were walking, the young man noticed a, 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 a little figure way out in the distance near, near a mountain, near a cliff. And this figure took off running towards them. And this young man said, this is the soul the Lord has sent. And this young man took off and left Ms. Allward there walking. And he, he met up with the man and they, they, they had a conversation and they came walking back to him. The man that they had found was a Buddhist monk. And, and the young man that was with Miss Allward said to her, said, this, this monk said that there's a monastery over the, over the mountain over here and they want us to come. And she's like, well, it's, it's a monastery. They're not going to allow a woman there. She's like, no, no, they want us to come. They're expecting us, they said. Well, that's, that's great. So they walked over the mountain and here they had a, a Buddhist mon monastery. And, and they brought him in, they, they fed them, they cleaned, they, they cleaned them, and, and, and then they, they walked into a room, and there was 300 mats on the floor and two mats on the front. And they sat Ms. Gladys and the young man up there, and 300 Buddhist monks sat there and said, Teach us of the God who loves. Teach us of the God who loves. And they began, as tired as they were, to teach the gospel to these Buddhist monks. 
And they did this for about a week. Non-stop, question after question, eager hearts and minds. After a week, the, the head monk of this monastery called Mrs. Allward to his presence. And Mrs. Allward asked this man, why did you allow a woman into your monastery? And the, the head monk says, because of that little paper on the wall. She walks up to the wall, and there in the wall was a little track. Worn down. And on it was John 3.16. For God so loved the world. that They'd never heard of such a thing. They'd never heard of such a wonderful thing of a God who loves. And so they all, wanting more, were waiting and praying for someone to bring to them the news of a God who loves. Brothers and sisters, when we, when we think of the church, when we think of the true church, it, it, it's intertwined with the God who loves. It, is, it goes hand in hand. One thing I wanted you to understand and be clear when we're talking about the true church is that it cannot be separated from Christ, the source of this love. Christ is in everything. When you think of the types of the pictures given about the church in the New Testament, they're always intertwined with Christ. What is a body without a head? It's a corpse. Well, what is a building without a cornerstone, a foundation? It's a bunch of rubble. What is, a, what is a branch without a vine? It's a dead twig. What is a flock without a shepherd? Food. What is a bride without a groom? So when we're talking, brothers and sisters, about the true church, when we're talking about... What God intended to, the church to be is to be hand in hand with Christ. One, all in the same. Christ in them and them in Him. And you can't separate them. Because then when you start talking about the counterfeit, when we begin to consider what is a counterfeit church, they don't attack the church part. They attack the source of the church. They attack Christ. A a any type of religion you want to take a look at. Any other type of belief system does something to diminish or deny who Christ is. So if you want to be able to recognize a counterfeit church, you have to ask them, what is Christ to you? What is He to you? He can be no less than God. He is your Savior. He's the source of your salvation. You, you rely on, on Him. He's your mediator between God and man. There is no wavering between that. It is Christ and Christ alone. I, I, I hope this helps, brothers and sisters. There's so much more that can be said, but I, I'm ten minutes over, and I, I thank you for your grace and patience. But I pray that you walk away this morning, refreshing your heart this morning. I... I I, your, your brother prayed about the love of God. And I said, look, I, what more can we ask for? Brothers and sisters, we gather together on a, on a, on a weekly basis, not, not because we have to. And I hope that's not the case. I hope you don't come because you have to. We come because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We gather around this table to remember the one who loved us first. And all that we do, we do it because He 
loves us. We don't do it because we're obligated, because someone told us to. But because we love Him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that in it You reveal Yourself. You reveal Your character. One who came to, who, who sent His Son to this world, not, not, not to condemn the world, even though the world deserved condemnation, even though we deserved nothing but your punishment and your wrath, you, you, you came to love the God who loved. Father, I pray that your love would be renewed in our hearts. That we would take a hold of our lives and that we would walk in the newness of the life that you give us, Lord. I ask all these things, such precious things, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen.